Welcome to a DGen pod on NFT time with Sammy and Grapefruit. We are joined by our friend Adam. Woohoo! Hey, let's go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're just going to take this time to kind of reflect on what's been going on, kind of get to know us a little bit better. Sammy and I are making some big transitions. So, hope you enjoy. So for the first episode, we wanted to do like a little primer intro of getting to know us. Adam, do you want to start or do you want us to kind of start? So what's your deal? Who? <laughs> it's way too broad a, a thing to start. <laughs> um, Sammy, who are you? What do you want the people to know about you? This is your podcast, though. So if they don't know, that's kind of a problem. <laughs> this is actually like me and Grapefruit's podcast now since we merged. So it's as much her podcast as it is mine. But OK, let's start. Who am I? Uh, I am a Web3 troll. I honestly think that sometimes the things I post on Twitter are just like really borderline shit posting. Some of the things I tweet are just, you know, just right at that edge where it's uh, slightly odd. But anyway, I guess we could start with like, who am I background? Uh, yeah, my name's Sammy. I I actually just graduated. Uh, I didn't think I was going to guys. And I, I mean, I told you guys this, you guys know this. I, I really didn't think I was going to graduate. I just graduated from University of Illinois with an accounting degree. Master's degree, right? Master's degree, yes. Very important, very important. Very important, but I'm going to be real here. It was probably more of a master's of crying because I just there was a lot of, most of the semester was spent near tears, not finishing assignments or failing assignments. But you know what? We made it. We're out here. Work background, I've had several operational jobs in banks. I think I started hedge fund operational jobs at Northern Trust. Then I pivoted to Goldman Sachs and then I moved to San Francisco and started a job in a small VC firm called Equium. So this was three-year-old Sammy's dream. You sat there in bed at night and thought, the heart of financial services, that is what I will grow up to be. No, three, <laughs> three-year-old three year old Sammy actually and this is 100% truthful because I saw it in those like kindergarten scrapbooks we made. Three-year-old Sammy wanted to be a policewoman growing up. Hell yeah. There's no, there's nothing to giggle at about that. I think you make a badass policewoman. No, it's just funny because I'm the weakest person I know. So imagining me trying to arrest someone is just comical. No, but you reading someone their Miranda rights in your interpretation of it is the best thing I can imagine. <laughs> Wait, you're my friend. <laughs> You have the right to remain silent. Don't say anything, bro. Hold up. (laughs) Or I'm going to use it against you. (laughs) I'm going to use that shit against you. Hands behind your back, fool. (laughs) I like my own question. Hey, Grapefruit, what do you want to be when you were three? Honestly, my earliest memory of what I want to be is a doctor because that's what my mother told me to do. So that gives you any inkling of my upbringing. (laughs) Yeah, and um, full disclosure, I have not told my parents that I'm quitting my current job. Uh, tune in next time for Subtle Asian Childhoods, yeah, the exactly. follow-up episode. So I have a hero's journey of childhood desires that got grander and grander, and they were all modes of how much transportation I wanted to be in control of, like how much freedom there was to it, and it started with garbage man i really wanted to be a garbage man because i was like strapped into a car seat and then a seat belt over that 
And it was just all constrained. And I looked out the car window and there's this dude hanging off the side of a moving truck. And I thought that was the, the best thing ever. So it started out there. And then I rode the public bus and I saw the bus driver with like the huge wheel and stuff. And, and like that just looked so fun. So my mother was calm about the fact that these were my ambitions. And then I rapidly progressed to wanting to be a pilot and then astronaut. And um, that was the the transportation career journey that never came true. Nice. What are your guys' work backgrounds, though? You asked me about mine. I want to know your guys' career journeys. I feel like we only know the Web3 journey. I can start. Yeah, I studied mechanical engineering because I thought I would go into the car industry. And I quickly learned there are like two places in the Midwest that I can live in and work on cars. And I was not willing to move there. Um, So instead, I went to a jet engine manufacturing firm, which was also in the middle of nowhere. But for some reason, I thought it would be fine. It wasn't. Um, But yeah, I did. So it was like hardware for like two years, but super slow, too bureaucratic. Worked on a government project. So I left, went to a web development company, and I was a coder for like a year, and I was really bad at it, but I survived. And I learned about how the software development lifecycle works. And then I moved over into financial services like you, Sammy. I was in risk management for a big US bank for two and a half years. And this Friday is my last day. Woohoo! What are you doing? After your last day. <laughs> oh, Great wouldn't fruit. you like to know? <laughs> wouldn't I like um, to know? We might save that alpha for another pod. <laughs> I am fully transitioning into Web3. Hey, now. Working at a startup, which I realized was kind of always a goal. I didn't really vocalize it, I think, because it felt very far away, very not the path set out for me. But yeah, I'm very happy to be moving. And should I share where I'm going? I feel like it'd be really strange if you didn't at this point. (laughs) So I will be joining Fika Media Company, which Adam is a founder and CEO of. (laughs) Co-founder. Yes, yes, one of the co-founders. But yes, I will be chief of staff to the CEO, aka chief of staff to Adam. Oh gosh, that sounds so formal. But um, yes. (laughs) It's just a title. Yes. Redfruit is coming to join us and and we couldn't be more excited about that. So happy to support Red Villain, someone great, fully into the darkness. Do you have any jet engine stories? Like that's too unusual of a... Mm, Not like specific stories, but you know, some people are like really afraid of flying on planes. After I started working there, I was very assured being on the plane. All the quality testing. Like I spent a year trying to build a tube that would not pass structural analysis. And I was like, okay, if this much work goes into building one freaking piece of hardware, I can be pretty assured that this plane has been through rigorous testing, both analysis testing, but also physical actual hardware testing, and we will be fine. Yes, yeah. that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. My my college roommate's dad was uh, some something of structural integrity at Boeing. And I was asking him once if when you're like in a lot of turbulence, I was like, could the wings ever just snap off? And he was like, you don't understand. The entire center part of the plane that contains the wings would rip out from the rest of the fuselage before the wings would come off. It's just, it's so attached. So, all right, my background, I too started out in hardware in a really unexpected way. I was a 
strategy consultant by name, but I got sent to the semiconductor fabs of Taiwan, rural Taiwan, Xinju. And um, I got stuck down in clean rooms and started learning that business and how that whole slice of the world works, which has got a whole lot of not just tech to it, but geopolitics and kind of runs everything underneath the surface. This one little town in Taiwan makes about 30% of the world's semiconductors, or at least it did at that time, and kind of all the important ones. So I started there and that was cool, except not at all what I wanted to do. So I left that and started an e-commerce company in Taiwan with a friend from college where we both were like, we don't, we don't want this corporate life and we want to try and stake out on our own. And what do we think we could pull off? So we built that. It still exists. Uh, Eric, my co-founder, runs it. It's called citiesocial.com for anybody who's interested in buying fantastic lifestyle products who lives in Taiwan and feels generally an overlooked market. But I imagine that's not most of the audience listening to this. So I got out of that. Basically, Eric and I said we had different philosophies about how we wanted to grow and he wanted to take it slow and steady, which he did. I wanted to go and play a game of trying to rapidly scale things. The way that I chose to learn about that first before just doing it was to join a venture capital firm called GGV Capital in San Francisco or in Menlo Park at that time. And they were really known for their cross-border investments between the US and China. That helped me build a focus, both geographic and cultural focus within the tech space, but it really helped me focus down on a few areas of product. The most relevant one to the rest of my career is consumer digital media. And I spent a lot of time basically meeting, learning about, and analyzing every digital media and, and social media, I would wrap into that business that there was in that era to invest in. And we got to invest in some really great ones that launched my career one of the deals that I brought in in those days was SoundCloud. And then I went and joined SoundCloud afterwards, which took me out to Germany because that's where they are based. So Berlin, I spent some time in SoundCloud growing their international team and internationalization and then got the early stage startup bugs. So story's getting a little bit long, but there've been a series of early and mid-stage consumer, mostly digital media startups that I've been a part of, always kind of as a product manager. And, you know, grew up IC product manager, then manager and so forth. And ultimately VP of product in the instances where I was not a founder. I have now co-founded three times on different things, uh, including this startup I'm working on now that uh, Grapefruit is going to join us at. And it's always been a labor of love of trying to build delightful experiences for people in and around media consumption at first, and then ultimately media creation. That's like... Yeah. <laughs> and the crowd is silent. <laughs> Just inspiring to hear. <laughs> I just always get amazed at how you've been able to context switch like that. Just a lot I feel like you've done in a short amount of time. I'm not sure how old you are, but it seems like a lot in a short amount of time. Oh, yeah, no. What you're missing is that I'm 87 years old. We never talked about that. <laughs> I don't know. Unless you're Benjamin Button, I thought that. You know, I was getting eye surgery the other day. I just came from physical therapy to this. Like My body is falling apart legitimately, so uh, the age does show. We need to start a campaign to take care of Adam's body. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was a bit about me, but you know, I think in the lens of this podcast, you could summarize most of that as 
a very web two consumer career, and uh, we are all at the precipice of our web three career beginning. Right. Which might be a nice transition. Well, I was wondering, Adam, how did you get into the NFT space? How did you make this transition? When did this transition even start for you? Did Fika start as a Web3 company? It did not. It did not. And and for those listening, um, Fika is the, the company name, but the product that we're making is called Terrible Pets. And so you can go look that up. Maybe we'll talk about it in a future episode. But no, we did not start as a Web3 company. We started with a really cool team that is half from the tech world and half from the media and entertainment space. And this is not a pitch about us, but but we got together to try to create novel and fun and sustainable experiences for content creation and content participation between the sort of established talent of Hollywood and like the wild creativity of people on the internet. And we went about exploring different product concepts that could, I know that's very sort of lofty abstract terms. I just trying to be quick about it. And we came to a product vision that we were really, really excited about before we ever breathed the word NFT or web three or blockchain. Of course, personally, in my personal life, I, I invested, you know, reasonably early into cryptocurrencies and then I uh, didn't get so much in the ICO boom, but the NFT wave did catch my attention for the same reasons it has so many others in a personal capacity. And so I was sliding into degenism uh, on my own, but it turned out that our product vision, I came to believe was most aligned with being brought to market through Web3 principles and Web3 communities. And that's, you know, something I would love to expand on here as a, as a general topic for us, like how a, this Web2 mind at least sees Web3 and like what it really means for product innovation. But we saw it as this incredible alignment that I had started to get to know from my personal life anyway, and said, oh boy, we got a full send on this. Like we, this is the way to bring to life the vision that we want. That is admittedly like much bigger than i don't mean that in a in a judgmental way but much bigger than nfts it is it is simply that nfts is an incredible way to align incentives between the people that we want to build something hand in hand with so that's how i got there how about you two sammy you can go uh yeah i'll go how do i get into nfts so like i'm from chicago i wasn't that into crypto i think like just the people I was surrounded with, they weren't into crypto in general. And then I moved to SF and of course, like the tech capital of the world, I was introduced to crypto by a friend and I ended up in August creating a collection of my own on Tezos platform. And at the time my friends recommended it to me because it was like new artist platform and it only cost a couple cents to, to mint art. So I tried to create like my own uh, like cone collection to like a mental health cone collection to try to like connect people to my MS paint art to their mental health problems and you know just basically tell them that they're not alone and that someone's there for them. So that's kind of what fueled my passion for it in the space because there were people that reached out and were like, hey, like I really like what you're doing with your cones. Like, let me tell you about my problems and can you make a special one for me? And I think that's what really set it off. I was like, okay, it's actually more than just art. NFTs can reach way far than that. And 
long story short, in December, I fully onboarded, switched from Tezos to Ethereum platform and was onboarded by two friends in the space that were very knowledgeable, Zoo and Emily and my friend Emily. And yeah, the rest is history. Started with like Zoo helped me with onboarding to Adidas and Azuki and like really the rest is history from there. Like the connections, the network started forming, the friendship started forming and now we're here. So that's that's pretty much how I got into into Web3. Basically TLDR through like just friends, people in the space already. Yeah, my story is kind of similar, except I've never made my own MS Paint collection. <laughs> I've mentioned before on the podcast, my friend Picante Tacos. It's okay, because all you have to do is get your hands on Sammy's cones, and then you will <laughs> yes, be... Yes, I need a cone. <laughs> Sammy has airdropped me a little MS Paint for running a mile. I walked <laughs> it, but I still got a little NFT. <laughs> so Picante Tacos was like, so she disappeared because she got COVID and like literally disappeared for like two weeks. I was like, where the hell did she go? And I texted her and she's like, oh, sorry, I don't look at my phone anymore. I knew what NFTs were because of like the news and kind of just following the news cycle. But I just didn't have a, like a entry point. So yeah, she was like, oh, I've just been on Discord for like two weeks. Like it's all I do. I don't sleep. I'm just talking to people all day. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> And um, she like explained it to me, tried to teach me a little bit. And then, yeah, I just started joining different servers that I would get invited to. I set up my wallet, my little cute alias grapefruit and my Twitter profile and everything. And then, yeah, just started minting stuff, trying to trade. I am a horrible trader, so I'm really glad that I have, I'm building instead of trading. <laughs> um, Yes, Adam. So we skipped over the part that I was hoping for of yeah. what flipped a switch in your brain that said, this is something I want to spend time on. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've always been interested in technology. Like I majored in engineering. I was a developer for a little bit. My current job has been very focused on software development. I've always leaned into tech. And I think the thing that stuck out to me about NFTs is like collective ownership. The fact that it just seemed like a revolutionary way for a company to chart its own path with blockchain technology. I mean, I'm still like trying to learn the ins and outs of like decentralized finance and blockchain technology and what all those repercussions could be. But it just seemed like a new concept and just a new way for there to be like a transfer of wealth, I guess. Yeah, that was a very long winded answer. I was waiting for you to say friends like me. Grapefruit <laughs> <laughs> really met me on Web3, though, like through Picante. Like, it's just all through Web3. Yeah. There's no way we would have ever met. So I think what drew me in was the technology and being bullish on the concept, you know, these collections and taking part and being like an investor. And I think what has kept me staying is the friends that I've made and just the genuine connections and all these people that I can now call my friends on like Discord and Twitter. <laughs> well, just to get a little more abstract, what's really fascinating to me about the space, I can't help my analytical mind from trying to think about what is all of this and what does it mean, is that there are so many different lenses through which to look at what the real, what is the innovation here um, that we're all calling Web3. And it does seem to me a bunch of parallel experiments being run on distributing rewards of 
upside very differently. And that's, you know, a major driver of aligning incentives, getting people to work together. But it's also very much something about community building and personal relationships. And at its sort of uh, most entrenched form, I've seen people that I would call like pseudo religious about some of the communities that they are in because not so much because of the things that the team behind it has done, but because of the other people in it where I think of it as people rooting for their sports team, but now they are their sports team. Not in a little leaguey, more intramural sort of way. They are their own sports team with financial consequences, spiked with sort of gambling returns profiles. <laughs> so you put all that together and it's just like so much human motivation and energy being concentrated at once. And that is a thing that products in the in like the Web2 tech sense have never been able to generate. So there's that. And then, of course, there's the tech of it, right? It is vastly, vastly different technology or a different architectural concept about what the tech is. And there's people who geek out about each of those independently or come in through one and then fall in love with another. And I don't know, in my, in my 87-year-long tech career, I've just never seen this confluence of things or so many interesting, like, curve-shifting things happen at once. For 87 years old, Adam, you sound pretty young. I was like more expecting like a, in my 87 years of experience. You've heard of Blood Boys, right? <laughs> if not. Okay. Well. <laughs> I knew you'd be like, okay. <laughs> Have you not watched Silicon Valley, the show? No, I don't watch TV. This is what my friends always get like, Sab knows. Because like, I don't watch TV. I don't watch an anime, like... <laughs> I know you're not Gen Z, but I'm going to just say, uh, Gen Z. <laughs> we are not Gen Z, sir. We are millennial like you. <laughs> yeah, but you're not really millennial either, are well, you? Well, <laughs> I mean, so that's the thing, like, so interesting to hear you talking because I feel like you've grown up with Web2 almost and, like, been on the working adult kind of side of it and seeing kind of the energy in Web2 and then witnessing all this unfold in Web3 and and so interesting hearing you talk about the energy that's going into building the space out right now that it's like unparalleled to what has the like the kind of energy that's gone into building out web 2 well yeah I, yes web 2 i think i had inklings of the energy at this same level in web 1 but i was too young like i was not an adult then just age myself in 37 and so what you know web 1 dot com era, I was in high school and I was able to, on my 56K modem with my 2X CD burner, I was able to participate as a consumer of and you know a reader of Web1 things coming out. But I was pretty far away from being able to be a maker in a business sense, at least so I thought. I was teaching myself HTML and things like that. But yeah, there was this kind of piratey cowboy, like the focus is we're trying to build stuff in an experimental way and some good's going to come out and a lot of thrashy mess is going to be left behind. And that's totally okay as the space like found its legs about thing. And then the era where I have been a professional has been a lot more like constrained because people had figured out where the efficiencies were and how to build something in semi-repeatable ways. And so it was a lot of, cool, how can we apply this formula 
to a new space that needs innovation or has opportunity in it over and over again. And I saw that especially as a VC associate, where it was often talked in terms of, okay, this pattern worked. Where can we, what other sub-industries can we apply that pattern to, right? Airbnb seems to work. Airbnb for X, go find all of them. And not to say that there isn't more juice to squeeze on that path, but this is a crazy new thing where that energy of like, we literally don't know where this is going to go is back again. And the crazies, including all of us, are like, yep, let's do it. Yeah, on that note, like, what does Web3, like, what is it all about in your perspective? Well, as I was saying, I think there's the tech lens, the community lens, the rewards lens, and they all interact. Strangely, I would almost say that the tech lens of it is almost the least important or relevant in, in that so many of the things, the products I see that are innovating in a Web3 banner or in a, in a Web3-ish way, mm, don't fundamentally need blockchain to exist, don't fundamentally need NFTs to exist. And NFTs are not needed. They were not required to pull off the community dynamics that the NFT space has come to mean to me and where I see that alignment I was talking about with what we're hoping to build. But it is how we've decided to use it. And it is the first thing that has gotten people to decide to use it that way. And so maybe I'm underselling how, you know, how important the tech is because it, it led people to a different place. But the maybe it's like a foundational layer and there's stuff built on top. But what gets me the most excited about product innovations in Web3, because I do geek out about the tech, but that's just a very separate part of brain, is that... You know, I'm going to parrot Chris Dixon, the partner at Andreessen Horowitz, a, a bit, who wrote a pretty nice uh, post about how this helps bootstrap network effects better than anything he's ever seen before. And so many businesses out there, companies, products are based in a need to reach network effects. And when they're really hard to do in a traditional way. And once you get there, so many things are possible. When you think about the businesses that have network effects, they're all like, they're the things that run our lives that take like that are on our home screen, right? They are the most powerful forces on the internet for good or bad, but they are powerful. And Chris made the supposition that network effects are so hard to achieve that many things, which would be extremely valuable in our life, don't get there haven't got there and they sort of died before they were able to mature. You know, think about like humans with, you know, infant mortality and then we made modern medicine and then we have a lot more humans who don't die before five years old and then those humans go on to live full lives and do things that affect the rest of us. And I think, I don't know, it's maybe grandiose, but I see Web3's innovation as being that. It is a innovation for products in helping achieve network effects with a lower bar to get from that like zero to one so that things can actually have breathing room to be experienced by a larger set and they can determine if it's worth existing, right? If it's worth living on. And that problem really exists in the space where the problem that it's solving exists in that a lot of things with network effects are not valuable until the network effects are there. 
right? Until enough people are using it. And it's really, really hard to convince those early, early users to use it before it's valuable to them, right? That just makes sense at the surface. But the Web3 solved to it. And I said, it didn't need blockchain. It didn't need NFTs, except that, hey, it's the first thing that's got us there, is that by sharing the upside with people, you change the game on their willingness to pay attention. And then that was the first wave of innovation I saw. The second, though, was that, great, now you have people who care and they can be much more than users. They can be the actual co-creators of the thing, sometimes in a marketing sense, but sometimes in the product sense itself. And building in that way is different, right? For sure, different. I wouldn't say it feels universally better for every situation, but there are going to be some situations where it's way, way more optimized and others where yeah, probably a Web2 approach is actually still more appropriate. Does that resonate with you too? Yeah, I think so. Because at least I'm inspired by Sammy because she just looks like a doer. And like when I first met her and that's why like I was kind of like, oh, like I also would like to join your podcast. <laughs> kind of like put myself out there. And I feel like right now in Web3, there's a lot of people that want to build alongside. They don't want to just watch on the sidelines. Like they want to be participants, but almost more than participants, you know, like they want to be able to have that ownership, have that say and like kind of like control their own destinies, but also the destinies of what they're invested in money-wise, but also like emotionally too. Like we spent a lot of time on these servers and with these people. So yeah. It's funny though that you say I'm a doer though, because before you came along, Grapefruit, I was just like shooting the shit, recording, maybe like half-ass editing. And then you came along and you're like, I don't know, you're really good at like strategy. You were just like, okay, how can we not have you spend five hours editing pods? And then you were like, okay, how can we bring value back to our listeners? And I was like, oh, I never thought of these before. <laughs> so like having like having you a part of it, it was like, it's game changer. I mean, granted, like we are full-time Web3 now. So like we'll pick up those like marketing initiatives up later, but I think there's a lot to be said about like the value that you bring into the space and into people's lives as well. That's what Web3 is all about to us, at least. I think for me, it means both connections and community, kind of piggybacking off of what Adam said. It's like connections. Like I think I've said this previously in some podcast episodes, but I used to be very into pen palling. I'm talking like you go on studentsoftheworld.com or like innerpals.com and like you try to find a pen pal that way. And, and I'll be real here. Like it's worked maybe 40% of the time, 30 to 40% of the time. Like yeah, there's 70% of the time you're getting some creepers on the internet. But um, even in Web2, I was striving to find like more global connections in this space. Like I really wanted to reach people. I wanted to talk to people in France. I wanted to talk to people in Asia and it's, it just never really worked for me. And then coming into Web3, it's like, you're connected to all of these people in Asia, India, Europe, like, yeah, anywhere in the space, like South America, and you're forming those bonds. And then I say community because, you know, when you're investing in an NFT project, it's almost natural that you have this sort of community. You know, for me, there's Azuki community, there's Chubby, Chubbyverse community, there's, <laughs> there's <laughs> M3 community. <laughs> you know, it's just like you share a similar love and passion for the art and yeah you just support each other 
in your, in your like small, medium, large community. And I, I really like that. It's you support each other. Something as small as like, if it's someone's birthday, it's like the discord is like, happy birthday, you know, so-and-so. And I, I don't know. It's, it's small things like that. It's the small things in life guys that like that add up. It's, it's the little things, you know, if you sometimes if you focus too much on the bigger things, you lose track of like the little things you need to appreciate. What was wrong with Chicago kids? You, you were like, I want to be friends with zero of you anywhere else but here. I'll tell you what's wrong with Chicago. I am, my mood is seriously affected by the weather. Don't mm. ask me why I lived there my entire life. So when you're like miserable 60 to 70% of the time in the, the cold and dreary winter, like that just really made me want to move. And even now I don't regret it because I'm like, wow, like Adam, you used to live in SF, you know, it's like, even in February, it's like 60 degrees and I'm sending that to my parents and they're sending me back negative two wind chill. <laughs> so like, it's a blessing. And when they say like West coast, best coast, like, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's pretty relevant. And I mean, there's like good and bad to every place you live, but I think it's just my personal preference. I can't stand the winter, therefore West coast, best coast. Makes sense. I feel like a pretty big dick then to say, I think the weather on the West coast sucks. <laughs> why? What? Okay, why? why? Is it because it's too hot for you? No, it's because I'm from Hawaii and Hawaii's better. Oh, well, okay. I mean, <laughs> if you have that for a comparison. People are like, do you want to go to the ocean? I was like, yes, but not here. It's too cold in LA. I was never a ghost living in LA. Yeah, exactly. But I'll have you know, I left Hawaii like because it actually was, I was like, it's too bright. There's too much sun. I need to get out of here. And so I went to school in Philadelphia, literally in large part. I was like, what's the most un-Hawaii thing I could do? And uh, yep, I got it. <laughs> I love Philly, though. Shout out to Chinatown in Philly. That's sweet. Shout out to Wawa Sandwiches, please. <laughs> yes, and Wawa Sandwiches. Yeah. Wawa's a gas station, mostly on the East Coast. It is headquartered in Pennsylvania, hence many near Philly but they have cheap sandwiches that are pretty decent. Is this a shill? Yeah. <laughs> Adam's always yeah. shilling Wawa. Yeah. Yeah. Enter code Wawa at checkout for 25% off. <laughs> Grapefruit 10 for 10% off your next <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wawa, where you can have a delicious sandwich 24-7 and sometimes the sandwich artist will threaten you with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like you guys like to live life on the edge, you know? But um. And that brings us to the end of our first episode of NFT Time with Sammy and Grapefruit featuring Adam. Hey, this was so much fun. Thank you for having me. And if you haven't already, make sure to give Adam a follow on Twitter at A18N. I will link it when we post this. We hope you got to know all of us just a little bit better. And stay tuned for more as we dive deeper into how we all got here. We still haven't heard where Sammy's going to next. And our thoughts on Web3, current market conditions, and more. Bye-bye.